1: And everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. It's been a busy week. It's been a fun week. We've got our our first full week of camp uh, across the country in the books or wrapping up. And that means, and we'll get to this in a little bit, we've got our first camp buzz, Plus we're gonna be going into some of the best of the rest for the win totals. We know that there is a college football world outside of the Power Five conferences, and you know that when it comes time for these locks, we're gonna have our finger on the pulse way outside, way off the radar, because oftentimes that's how you uh, you find your stone cold locks. So, uh,
2: Barton, how we doing, man? Uh, we're good, man. We're good. This the locks the locks have been fun but uh, i'm I'm also have some level of like excitement of being through the locks and then actually oh, the wind spending our time, zeroing in on yeah. or I'm sorry, not the wind, the locks, but the wind totals. Uh, and then zeroing in on on actual camp camp buzz. We'll do a little buzz today, but uh, still early, still just a weekend. The buzz will pick up as we go. The uh, there's if you have not
0: gotten a chance to go back, then like it is a library of preseason information. I mean, it is every little bit of of chores that you've got, every little bit of driving that you've got left to do in August from the from the Pac-12 all the way to the SEC. I mean, it is just anthologies of laughs, you know, tear laughter, tears. Uh, highs lows and of course our win total picks for all the power 5 conferences but before we uh, we take it a little bit off the radar uh, i had to i had to go deep into the archives of the uh, of the jingles barton i had to pull something out from the 2017 season to get it loaded up on the soundboard so are are you ready to buzz it up
2: yeah yeah let's buzz it
1: players that are making a buzz camp
0: camp buzz, camp camp buzz
2: Camp, camp, buzz, talking about players that are buzzing. I love So do we not have that from last year?
0: <laughs> no, we do. We do. But it was originally created in
2: 2017. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, you know, an oldie but a goodie. Um, camp buzz is an exciting time of year. Uh, and so I'm going to kick things off with a, you know, some bad news popped from mm. the vaults yesterday. Did you catch the, the Tennessee bad news? No. Emmett Gooden, uh, a um, important piece of the defensive line puzzle, was injured and is out for the year. So Tennessee, as they're trying to tool up and 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 actually strengthen the trenches, loses a pretty big piece. So I need to at least deliver some some positive news as well for Tennessee. Um, so. It's not in the trenches. Um, though I think Elijah Simmons is a really intriguing ca- guy that is, is, uh, already making some, uh, turning some heads. But, but I really wanted to go to the running back position where Eric Gray has really, all summer really has been a, someone that has caught the attention of Tennessee coaches in his preparation. He's running back, he's, he is competitive. Intense, athletic, business-oriented in terms of his approach. I think you're going to see Eric Gray uh, early in the season uh, and 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 regularly throughout the season as someone that's a I think a dynamic, versatile playmaker uh, who has the maturity level to really contribute as a true freshman.
0: How was that? Does that surprise you? Mentioned his name when we were discussing Tennessee during the SEC East Wind total show. Does his Uh, emergence at this point come as a surprise to you based on uh, what your expectations were for him coming out of high school
2: no actually it doesn't I mean I would almost expect it but it wasn't I mean he was not a guy Tennessee was targeting early on they sort of warmed up to him uh he didn't play a high level competition in Tennessee so you didn't there was I guess some unknown but he was really productive in high school he was a guy we always had ranked really high so no, it doesn't surprise me. In fact, it sort of pleases me to, to hear he's doing well because we, we were high on him. So, um, uh, so yeah, I think, I think in a lot of ways this is sort of what I would have hoped for um, given you know, the way we evaluated him.
0: Uh, all right, what else are we at?
2: Uh, let's see. I'll go out to Washington. Um, you know, as, as talented as they are consistently in the defensive backfield – it sounds like Cameron Williams, is a true freshman, could be s- sort of working his way into the starting group as a freshman uh, at safety. And I mean, this is this is there's obviously some um, some you know re- retooling uh, in the secondary, some backfilling, reloading, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so there's opportunity for someone to step up. Uh, but given how well they've recruited, how well they've developed in the secondary for a true freshman to come in and be battling for a starting job, I think says a lot about his ability and, and talent level. And so um, I, I found that pretty interesting that, that that's
0: uh, – Former quarterback? That that is,
2: is, is is bubbling up. Former quarterback, Cameron Williams? Nope, nope. He's, uh, he was a DB. Um, four-star guy, 2019 guy. Um, uh, I'm not sure who you're thinking of. I don't know. Um, but anyways no he's he is a uh he's out of baker'sfield uh 511 six foot and has has apparently been uh been really impressive early on it's been sharp when
0: when we've like got this sort of blanket uh like this this sort of blanket positivity for Washington particularly on the defensive side I do think that there's something to be said you know we we credit the coaching staff um you know from you know Jimmy Legs Pete Quiettest uh, Quiet uh Chris Peterson you know everything else but it's it's not only the development it's also been just sort of this this linear trajectory on the recruiting side for the last 3 years you know the 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 makeup of the the team total composite for Washington has gotten better and better as we've seen this recruiting get better and better, such that the player development is awesome. But when you're getting more talented players to start with, uh, and they're able to make those leaps, now all of a sudden you've got players that can become uh, it become two and three year contributors.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. And I don't know that Washington's ever going to be a top five recruiting class. I don't know that they're going to sort of approach recruiting that way to where they'll, they'll win the rankings. Um, but they've but they've absolutely leveled up. And when you have leveled up and you're a strong evaluating and a strong developing program, uh, I think that puts you in a pretty good position to, to, uh, to compete at the highest level. I mean, that's a little bit um, – I mean, Clemson kind of leveled up in that regard, and then they've sort of taken it to the next level. So, can you know maybe Washington can get to that point where they're uh, they're knocking on the door, and then they bust through the ceiling there if if they sort of get to the point where they can win a championship or compete or contend for one.
0: Do you remember Stephon Anthony? The linebacker? Yeah. yeah like uh-huh. I, I remember – I think he was a four-star, but I think it was celebrated at the time that he committed to Clemson. Like it was a huge signing day win in 2011 or something like around that time. And yep. now all of a sudden, you know, the world is changing and they've been able to take those, those wins with the four stars and be able to change it into – you know, locking down uh, you know, Brian Bursey and uh, <laughs> the, the best, the best players in the country and starting to compete for some of the top recruiting classes in the country. I agree with you. Washington ain't headed there, but when you like to the listeners, when you hear some of us like just sort of blindly buying in on Washington, it's not totally blind. It's because right. there's there's been really good uh, identification and development along with, you know, like the hard evidence that the recruits are getting better as well.
2: I'll give you one more uh, camp buzz and then we'll get into some uh, some win totals. All right. Um, and this is, a, again, this is a little bit influenced by off season buzz. You know, it's still early in camp. Let's not overreact to uh, helmets and shoulder pad practices. Um, but uh, early in camp plus off season workouts. The, the buzz surrounding Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver at Ohio State, State true freshman, is is pretty off the charts. Um, there doesn't seem to be any sort of tempering of of what we can expect out of him in terms of his approach, again, like demeanor, work ethic, and those sort of things, but also just natural talent and ability. I mean, wide the wide receiver position has been a really deep, really talented position At that program for a few years now. This year is no different. You know, KJ Hill is going to be like uh, a record holder at Ohio State a few times over, potentially. Um, Awesome Mack, Benjamin Victor, like these are all guys that are expected to be really, you know, big, big time players as seniors or as upperclassmen. But uh, Garrett Wilson is apparently. going to be better than all of them and is already going to be sort of working themselves into some significant playing time and is apparently the next great like first round draft pick at wide receiver. So that, you know, whether when that pops, how early that pops, whether that's something that's we, we see flashes of, um, or, or whether that's something that is day one, uh, I guess t- is to be determined, but he is apparently, really really special like rare even by Ohio State standards
0: he uh he had a ridiculous touchdown catch in the spring game he did um and i speak on this as a defensive back why am, am i just a sucker or are we all just suckers why is there something that makes me feel uniquely giddy about a wide receiver who is a, maybe ahead of schedule in development at the college level. Like what is, is it just something about like the combination of like size, athleticism, execution, but when you do see those like freshman wide receivers or sophomore wide receivers that just, that pop, that just absolutely pop that it just, it sends a little bit of a shiver down my college football loving spine.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, Hey, it's a sexy position, man. That's the guys that go out and get, make the highlight plays. And, um, you know, they're the sports center guys. So, Hey, you can, and, you know when the offensive lineman is popping early on, we we, we like a lot of things in the trenches. Sometimes we got to take people's word for it because we're not, you know, we're not watching the all 22 and breaking down the film. I mean, but but everyone knows when the wide receivers out there making splash plays, and so uh, I don't know. He's probably one of the more uh, one of the easier to to get excited about from a fan perspective because. Uh, it's it, it's just where the ball's going and who's making the big plays. So I think Garrett Wilson's got some of that potential to just make some splash plays, incredible high point ability, great ball skills, crisp route runner. Uh, he's just a um, – he was – again, he's one of these guys, he was a 4'6 guy in high school, but he was also a, you know, could could tomahawk dunk in basketball games and was a little bit thinner and hey, he's already getting bigger, stronger, faster and the, the rest is going to be history.
0: Um, and I, I will also add this, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this sort of uh, takes hold in the Ryan Day era because – While, you know, you mentioned uh, K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, uh, Benjamin Victor, and we have had, you know, the Paris Campbell. Like, there have been very productive wide receivers, but I would challenge that Ohio State has not had uh, like a one consistent, like, go-to game-changing threat, that it's always been more of a sum of its parts in terms of the ways that it could stress the defense. I think the wide receiver position since – I'll, I'll say all the way back to Michael Thomas, I think that we have not seen just like that one just scares the living daylights out of a defensive coordinator wide receiver since then.
2: Yeah, well, it feels like part of that has been the the nature of the offense. I think you kind of hinted at that and um, just the kind of the way Urban Meyer's system feature. I mean, he's featured. Yeah, last year was different with Dwayne Haskins, and I think we we suddenly sort of saw some guys like Paris Campbell come alive with with Dwayne Haskins. Before that, it was it was, I mean, that wide receiver group in a way was kind of shackled by J.T. Barrett. Yeah, um, and and so we we're back to now this system, and and hey, I guess we don't know quite yet what what Justin Fields is going to be as a passer, but we think at least Ryan Day. Is going to open up that offense and 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 allow some of those receivers to to blossom and and Brian Hartline, uh, new, the 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 receivers coach that took over for Zach Smith. I mean, he is, you know, he, early in his career has some outstanding buzz and reputation as a receiver coach builder molder. So um, I think the makings are there for this for this group. And man, the the recruiting class in 2020 is is sick at wide yeah. receiver. I remember so you that, saying
0: that. You were like, this This might be a hint of what's to come in the Ryan Day era with the way that they're putting together the 2020 class.
2: Yeah, it's about to be uh, kind of wide receiver U-ish in terms of the way it's pacing uh, between 2019 and 2020. Sick.
0: Um, all right, you ready to, uh, to count them up one more time?
2: Let's do it. As much as I think it's the, the under count is a by. safe play, like, I can't even... Count them
0: This fall.
2: I can't fathom who wins. How I many kids are
0: going to win this
2: fall? I just can't. I don't see it. Not, it's not on there. It's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere.
0: All right. So, do you want to ping pong this one back and forth? We've each identified uh, a handful or a couple handfuls of teams that we know we want to discuss.
2: How how do you well, want to play it? I think we start with Notre Dame. Okay, definitely. Yeah, you know, let's get let's get it rolling with Notre Dame. Get the big get the the big uh, um, the big fish out of the way first, and then uh, and then we'll kind of see what else we want to bounce around with in Group of Five. So a
0: true test of um you know what this Notre Dame a team a team that we've addressed on this podcast a lot. They've done they've made changes to the staff. They've brought in you know uh like great coordinators they've made changes to their strength and conditioning program they we've seen a lot of the results with the way that these veterans are at the end of 3 to 4 years within the program and i think now especially on the on the defensive side we're going to have a real test of player development because you go 12 and 0 in the regular season last year you come back. And yes, there is that massive game against Georgia in Athens, but this win total as we're looking at it right now is set at 9. Now, I would argue based on where this Notre Dame program is that a 9 and 3 season is not going to make any Notre Dame fans upset, but I do think the number feels a little low because an 8 and 4 season, just one game difference, if this like if you're picking the under then I think you are looking at this as being a a big a very very big step back and a disappointing year for the Irish. Where are you at with Notre Dame?
2: Right. Uh, well, I'm, I'm. 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 I think I am optimistic about Notre Dame. Um, I'll just. I'll just. I'll just dig in. I think here's here's the deal. Like with Notre Dame, I think there is a fear that this is 2013, right? Like 2012, Mm -hmm. Notre Dame sort of fooled everyone, got into the national championship game, got absolutely waxed. And then like everyone sort of assumes that they were never that good to begin with and that, you know, then they sort of go on this mediocre stretch and whatever. Um, I don't think last year was 2012. I think last year they were actually legit. Like I think last year they might have been one of the top four teams in the country. Um, I don't. I wouldn't put that past this this program and this team. Uh, I think. So if we, so I'm working under the assumption that last year they were good. That that it wasn't a mirage. That Clemson was just that good, and that uh, and that game was, you know. The middle eight minutes, as that, Stephen yeah. Prather talked to us about. I mean, that game was, was
0: close. A, that was a yeah. close
2: game. Yeah, a couple big plays, and and you know, things could have gone differently. So, uh, so here, that's my first stipulation that they were pretty that they were pretty good last year. Second stipulation here is that this is in the Brian Kelly era. This is one of the healthier healthier times, healthier periods within the Brian Kelly era if not the healthiest you have a strength and conditioning program that is proven to be one of the best in the country right now. I mean, it's been night and day um, since uh, Matt Bayless came and and started building that thing out. Um, You have a, a coaching staff now, you know, that's got some real stability Uh, chip long at offensive coordinator, Clark Lee, a defensive coordinator, going into year two, but it's year three of this system, starting with the Mike Elko hire. Uh, and then, you know, not, now they've got, um, you know, year two with uh, uh, the same defensive backfield coach. Lance Taylor takes over at running backs coach. Like, anyways, so there's stability at, co- at coaching staff. All right, so now we get to the roster. And I think there's there's two ways to look at Ian inbook. You can look at it as he wasn't even a starter before the season. That when he took over the reins, it was a totally different team. So, you know, he has he's still progressing. He's still got an up arrow. What happens in year two of his first full year of starting twelve games? Uh, what, you know, perhaps there's even more upside to go. The other side of it you could look at it is he's Jake Browning. We saw the best of him. People are going to figure him out and there's, there's no more. He's hit a ceiling already. Um, Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. Maybe it's not like some steep trajectory where he breaks, you know, breaks through and, and has some monster year, but he's, but he still got better, better football to go. All right. So there's, there's Ian book. Now you got, I think chase Claypool can be what miles Boykin was uh, on the outside. You've got an offensive line that returns everybody. You've got uh, a defensive line that needs a little work in the interior, but edge is as good as there is in the country. Uh, secondary is, I think, significantly improved from an athletic standpoint. Yes, you lose Julian Love, but Troy Pride is is one of the most athletic corners in the country from an athletic, just from a pure ath- raw athleticism standpoint. Alohi Gilman was awesome last year. Jalen Elliott was really good last year. You've got Kyle Hamilton, a true freshman, who's, who's a five star. Freak show. Um, and then you got a, a a schedule that is that they'll be favored in 10 games more than likely. They'll be they'll be underdogs and probably two, which will be close underdogs, Georgia and Michigan. So that that's a that's my sort of point by point description of why I think we are at a point now where we can trust Notre Dame. And so I think that there's every reason to believe they can or potentially will, win every game they're supposed to win and then split the two they're not. I think you could be realistically looking at an 11-1 team.
0: How many 11-1 teams are you putting on 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 record right
2: now? <laughs> you can not <laughs> count like Missouri as my 11-1 team. I think I have Utah, Notre Dame, Georgia, and I think uh, and then I have two undefeated in Alabama, Clemson.
0: I'm 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 sitting at 10 and 2, but it's uh it and and the so you know like I I like to think about the rhythm of it and you know going to play at Michigan that's just going to be such a massive game you know whether no matter what happens uh, in Athens just because of all the the you know what it could mean for for Michigan and whatever kind of playoff hopes it has after that but then I don't see a loss in the whole month of November like I think they finish with five straight wins and so uh, I that's it's. All that to say, I don't know if we're ever going to be talking about Notre Dame as being in the college football playoff this year, but I think we're going to look up at the end of the season and they're going to be 10-2 and two playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game.
2: Yeah, I think 10-2 and two is, is – yeah, I, I agree with that too. I think, you know, my point is like it, I, if, it strikes me as very unlikely that this team, given all the continuity that I just sort of talked about Cycles down to eight and four just strikes me as very unlikely. Like I, when one thing I don't think this team is, is like unpredictable or inconsistent. I think you can, I think this is a trustworthy team and they have a lot of the pieces that you need to have. They got stable quarterback play, a couple dynamic playmakers, an offensive line, elite pass rushers. Like that's a lot of things that like are really strong recipes for a successful season. I I don't know if
0: uh, I w- I'm w- curious to see what the offense looks like because I it feels like this is going to be a Notre Dame team that can pound the rock a little bit, just sort of ride that offensive line. It Should I, you know? I just it's um yeah I I'm in the in the big my pick is over you know I've got this at ten and two they're picking it at nine I think there's zero chance that you catch this team going eight and four but I'm not as on board with you in terms of saying uh, a team that you can trust because you know I I say 10 and 2 but if USC wins that game I'm not going to be surprised cuz you know I'm all about the Trojans this year you
2: well, know Well I think that's a big like w- part of my calculus here for Notre Dame is that there's really only two teams on the schedule that I think sh- you know they you know they that they can you can excuse a loss to, I guess. Now, obviously if USC becomes a USC of old, then suddenly like that, that loss number ticks up. Maybe Virginia is more than just a cute ACC dark horse. Um, maybe the same can be said for BC or Stanford. So I think I'm 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 looking at the schedule as not very imposing honestly other than those two games I mean it's 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 steady like there's not a lot of gimme games other than bowling green but I maybe that the schedule looks different once the season gets going and a couple of these other teams are better than we think and then all of a sudden hey it's 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 a little less of a layup to me but I still have more confidence a lot more confidence than 10 or 11 than 8 or 7
0: Get them out. All right, let's turn our attention to the UCF Golden Knights. The win total, I mean, this was a team that did not lose a football game for 475 days. That is ridiculous. They did it across two coaches. They did it across multiple quarterbacks. Finally, LSU put an end uh, to the incredible winning streak. Their over-under win total, uh, as we're looking at it right here, set at nine and a half, so as the Knights go into AAC play, Barton, are you expecting them to be able to maintain their their championship uh and we, you know, let's let's talk about the news. We've got uh Daryll Mack suffers a, an ankle injury in a non-contact situation and so he miss is going to be missing most of fall camp. His the timetable for his return has not been set, but that means former Notre Dame quarterback Brandon Wimbush who lost a job to Ian Book he is going to be uh, the apparent QB1 for UCF this year. What are your expectations for Josh Hypel after? and again, like we've said before, uh, a hat tip to Josh Heupel. he, he has at least done uh, he has at least made an, a first impression that has me believing that it was not as much of the like all right, okay, kind of higher that maybe I had that was my reaction initially. that reaction I'm, I'm walking way away from it but i am curious to see what he hap- what happens next with uh, you know mckenzie milton certainly on his way to recovery just to you know be normal and be, uh, just to be able to be healthy again and brandon wimbush now as the qb one running that offense
2: well yeah i mean look last year was it was still sort of uh last year was a remnant university of residual income like it was still they were st- if, if you are a university residual income, like the, the, the residual income doesn't just like stop at the end of a season. Like there's a, there, there's a trickle down. There's a, a, a slow halt to that, to that income. And last year we, you know, there was a lot of leftover. There's a lot of remnants. I think if we, if we're really going to judge Josh Heupel, it's, it's on this season. And uh, that's a to me that's a big deal that we got to count on brandon Wimbush. We hadn't we have not when has Brandon Wimbush ever you know I mean he's let us down <laughs> like Brandon Wimbush has let us down before. and if if we're saying this is a, 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 a we're talking about a quarterback position that's been uh, played at a pretty high level. Uh, under McKenzie Milton uh, for most of this run that UCF's been on. Now you got Brandon Wimbush and you got, uh, I mean, you play in Stanford. Cincinnati is a road game on a Friday night. You're going to Pitt. And, a, you know, they were a division champ last year. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm not, I'm I, 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 I lean under, to be honest with you.
0: Oh yeah. I'm absolutely in on the under Um, like that's like Stanford Pitt, and at Cincinnati, they could have three losses by the middle of October. Yeah. That's not even to count. Like, and, and you know, we will potentially, we will get to them in a a little bit, but um, I'm very high on Houston. I, uh, I think that you should look at, you know, just like a year ago. I mean the, while UCF has had the upper hand on South Florida, it's not like Charlie Strong's teams have made have, have been an uncompetitive in those games. Those games have been close. Those games have been competitive. They're rivalry games. Like if the Bulls smell a little bit of blood, if they think they might be able to get get one over, I mean this this could be a very good UCF team that still goes 8 and 4. Now, I could also see 10 and 2, but when you're asking me to pick between the two and I know that Brandon Wimbush is the quarterback, a, a Brandon Wimbush who while let's see, so 2017, he's the starter for the whole year. Is that right? I think they, uh, they end up going like nine and three, maybe ten and three. Let's see. Yeah, 2017, he's the starter for the whole year. They go. Brandon Wimbush leads them to a ten and three record. I guess Ian Book played one game against North Carolina, but uh, he has wins on his resume as a starting quarterback. So I feel like I deserve. Uh, Brandon Wimbush deserves to at least have that be acknowledged. You know, nine wins as a starter in the 2017 season. Um, you know, the ability to orchestrate an offense. But as we saw in 2018, when a veteran-led Notre Dame team marches to the College Football Playoff, that 2017 success that Brandon Wimbush enjoyed probably also a little bit of a credit to his teammates. So when you're uh, when you're putting Brandon Wimbush into the fire, and when you've got those huge games early. Uh, I find myself as well thinking that we're looking at nine and three and that we might not even be looking at uh UCF winning the division
2: yeah I'm not like m- maybe I'm being unfair to Brandon Wimbush but I can't I've got some like serious uh traumatic images in my head that I need to wash out um and and maybe and and to be honest with you this could be a real Resume season for Josh Heupel in the sense of taking a guy that Notre Dame couldn't really get the best out of, and if somehow Brandon Wimbush starts looking like the guy that um, he was supposed to be, then that's a that is a really strong statement by Josh Heupel, um, and kind of a bad look for for Notre Dame and Chip Long or whoever, um, because there's some talent there, and and um, hey, like may, maybe Josh Heupel can can pull it out of them. So I think it's going to be an interesting year. Um, but I, I, do think that there's enough, there's enough really competitive teams on this schedule to make 10 wins a real challenge
0: on a related note. Do you know where Malik Zaire is right now or
2: will be? Yes. Uh, he's part of the, part of the family he's, at CBS. right? He's
0: part of the family now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Love
0: that. Malik Malik Zaire, who who won my heart during his uh, appearances on Showtime's season with when they followed the uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, maybe in the sixteen season I think it was. He was a he was a great character to follow there. So ha- happy to see him uh, getting that media career launched after playing at notre dame and florida all right coming up on the other side we'll be digging into more of our uh the most intriguing interesting and the ones that are raising our eyebrows for the win
1: totals from the group of five next robert half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring if you have open roles chances are you're feeling this too that's why you need robert half
2: I want to hit on Um, I'll go with BYU next I'm really fascinated by this team because as I look at their schedule there's really only three games that I'm just flat-out calling wins
0: yeah I was gonna say three games that you're calling wins or three games that you're calling losses because this is a front-loaded schedule that looks terrifying
2: No doubt. I mean, in the back, so the back end, I found a a win against Liberty, Idaho State, and UMass. All right, so we we're starting three and zero. But just just to just to sort of recap, what else is on this schedule? You got a Utah at Tennessee, USC, Washington at Toledo, at USF, Boise State at Utah State. Then you got your three wins, and then you go at San Diego State. Whoo! Like that is serious. So, I'm I'm very to- Like last year, uh, Tom took Tulane, didn't he? In the in his win totals, yeah. Locks. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, supporting that pick just by the simple nature of believing Tulane would continue to get better, and yet not really having a great grasp of where the wins were going to come from on the schedule. BYU sitting at six and a half. I really, I really like this won't be a lock, but I really am inclined to believe they'll, they will hit that over and figure out a way. But in order to do that, it's just really interesting to think about the, some of the wins they will have had to have pulled off. Because this team returned 17 starters. They've got Zach Wilson coming back at quarterback who, Sort of changed the whole vibe around the program when he took over last year, um, and it felt like they found something late in the year that that Kalani Sataki was was sort of missing on. Um, it it sounded like it seemed like he sort of tightened tightened up the bolts a little bit on things towards the end of last year, but I mean, I I would I bet you that they go one and three to start the year, um, and so. That means someone is really disappointed uh, whether they go to Tennessee and win in a season. The Tennessee needs every single win, whether they beat Utah at home, which is a dangerous opener for a team that I, again, picked at 11 and one, uh, or whether they can do the same thing up again. These are home games against USC and Washington like, um, so I'm not necessarily bringing this up as a a, a a total I'm really confident in, but I'm just very interested in what BYU is going to look like. Because if anybody's sort of counting BYU as a just checking it off as a W, I don't think there's a team out there that, that can overlook this Utah team.
0: Holy War on the first Thursday of opening weekend is a treat.
2: That's low-key like one of my favorite opening weekend games. Yes.
0: I mean like right there – uh, there's going to be like people are going to be scrambling trying to figure out where the ACC network is and if they're going to get to see Dabo run down the hill in time. But once we're done with all of our uh, all of our Clemson ring night hoopla, like later in the night when Clemson's up 24 in the third quarter, we need to turn our attention uh, to Provo, where it is going to be uh, just the environment there is going to be awesome, and I I'm very excited. I think. Of you know you mentioned that those first four games, I might give BYU the best chance against Utah for rivalry reasons.
2: Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really um, that's a really loseable game. I mean, again, it's a Thursday night in Provo, uh, and and Utah's getting a lot of preseason hype. I mean, that's going to be a hungry team in that setting to, to, to win in a rivalry. So it, that, that's going to be a blast. Whew. That's that
0: the <laughs> that is such a sweat. If you're if actually I hope you do put it down on a lot. <laughs> I hope you do because um you're you're really hoping for some injury luck that you're going to be carrying the all 17 returning starters into November. We're like right now based on um, there's almost like an endurance uh, quality that I attribute to Kalani Sataki because he had Aki like is only in his fourth year with BYU. And doesn't it feel like he's already had the ups and downs of like a six or seven year coach? Like the, oh yeah, like there's the,
2: been some moments in this yes. tenure where it's like, what are we doing, guys? Right, right. He's, like let's get this thing together.
0: <laughs> he has had to navigate some very choppy waters with this BYU team in his first three seasons, and he's come out on the other side with what appears to be a healthy program and a very intriguing and intimidating team. I mean, this isn't that like, and I, I, there are probably uh, more senior members of the college football community that are listening to this, and and probably do have better memories and are a little bit more plugged into you know BYU uh, at its peak uh, with Lavelle Edwards and and everything else. But I just, you know, I I think that the the idea that you're starting the season going on this tour of you know just not not trying to stack wins but going and playing all these great teams i mean the byu is the only team out of 130 fbs teams that is starting with four straight games against power five opponents like that kind of bring bring on the fight attitude is pretty awesome and i think that that's uh it's if you're hoping for the BYU over it's it's very intimidating and a fun proposition to consider but as a fan of college football I think that that's that's kind of where I want my BYU if that makes tell sense you what
2: it, it would keep me focused if I was a player and I was doing my offseason preparation my summer training my my workouts man it's not hard if you're the strength coach down there to get those guys motivated to finish their runs talking about the the gauntlet that they're about to face in the preseason. So I don't know, man, it's going to be, in a way, I, I, that would be a fun challenge for them. Count
0: them up. Let's turn our attention to Luke Fickle in Cincinnati. Um, a program that when Luke Fickle came in, put in, you know, just, just, we're going to be one of the youngest teams. We're going to be one of the youngest teams that we're going to put everybody out there. Now they're starting to get a little bit more experience. Uh, we had the double digit win season a year ago. And the win total for this year is set at seven and a half. Now, uh, a big drop-off from 11-2, and two, certainly to see that number seven. But the schedule's tough. They've got to go play at Ohio State. They play UCLA on the opening Thursday. They go to Houston. They, of course, host UCF. And uh, they go to Memphis in the cross-division draw. So um, a difficult schedule, no doubt, seven and a half. If if I'm gonna predict where your head's at based on uh, the general bullishness of for the Cincinnati program, I'm guessing that you're seeing more of the same and not a big drop off.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I think, I think you you gotta, are like you have to. It's hard to argue against Luke Fickle being one of the better coaches in Group of Five right now in terms of his trajectory um the the reputation that he brought with them to Cincinnati, the you know the uh, sort of the way that team has improved, the way they're recruiting the this is a lot going on that makes you believe that this is, you know last year's 11 and two was more of kind of what we should expect as opposed to it being an outlier season. Then they got a quarterback coming back who'll be more experienced and and improved uh, on an already, really good year. You got Michael Warren at running back, who's probably one of the better running backs in the group of five and probably an NFL guy. Um, And I still, I know that Ohio state's probably lost and UCLA. Who knows? But I mean, they, they beat UCLA last year. Um, I think the rest of the schedule, if you call UCLA a, a a toss up or, you know, a, a tight, um, underdog like I think the rest of the schedule is games that I would I think that Cincinnati either ch- it, if certainly can win but maybe should win like across the board
0: I think I'm picking Cincinnati to win the division
2: I mean I yeah I'm with you
0: the uh, I uh they get the UCF game at home it's gonna be on a Friday night I imagine that that will be uh like Cincinnati home games on those weekday nights, it wasn't that long ago that it was a really really fun college football atmosphere. And I don't think it will take that much for us to see that again. And I think that when UCF comes in, that place is going to be hyped and I if they get that head-to-head advantage, now all of a sudden, you know, the divisions wide open. They could even take a loss if it happens the very next week at Houston and still be able to have that leg up in conference play. So I'm, I we have not turned in our AAC division winner picks, but I will go ahead and spoil here in minute forty three of the podcast that I'm probably taking the Bearcats. And if I'm taking the Bearcats to win the AAC East, then I absolutely have to go over on seven and a half.
2: Yeah, seven and a half. It's almost a little bit. I mean, I don't know. They're gonna go seven and five. Um,
0: so if and, if they go seven and five, let's say that's that is UCLA, Ohio State, UCF, Memphis, and Houston.
2: So so I mean you're talking about seven and five on a team that went. Let's just call it. Let's just call them nine and three last year, because they went ten and two. But if you replace one of those wins with Ohio State, then they're nine and three. Okay, so. They're nine and three last year. Are they? I mean, oh, Ohio it, State getting out of the schedule is only one more loss. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, I don't know why we should shouldn't have confidence in them being able to sustain and maintain more than that. So, yeah, I mean, drop to drop them to eight and four. Drop them to nine, you know, then you're still feeling good. I just don't see seven and five.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, you're losing. Uh,
0: I guess. Man, it's it'll, it's gonna be re- it's going to be it's going to be really really sad when these AAC teams have to say goodbye to UConn.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, man. Was, and East Car- you know, I'll be interested to see whether East Carolina-, Carolina can get more competitive this year too because they had a pretty good uh, on paper coaching hire. Um, and so I don't want to treat this schedule like it's a walk in the park for a group of five team, but there, there should you know the, Cincinnati should be one of the better group of five teams. Um, do you wanna to go to Boise State or do you want to keep it in the AAC? I wanna keep I wanna get back to the um to the independents. Oh, cute. you wanna let's see, Liberty? <laughs> I wanna to go to Buckshot Calvert? I wanna go to the Reverend.
0: Okay. <laughs> the, the Reverend
2: Hugh Freeze. The Reverend Hugh Freeze. Count him up taking over at Liberty. And so I'm not going to pretend that I've got a a deep knowledge of Liberty, but I do know that Liberty as they've been transitioning into the power, you know, the um, FBS has been surprisingly competitive. Now they've, they've also had some, you know, they've had a lot of games against non FBS teams. Um, Last year was their first, first sort of full slate, but they won six games uh and I do think that the Reverend Hugh is a really good football coach. I mean, there's a lot of punchlines with him right now, but when you get back to what he has actually accomplished, what his offenses have actually looked like, what he's done on the field, it's hard to argue that he's a guy guy's a really good coach. And so he's he is taking over a program that returns you know 16 17 starters something like that uh, they've they have 22 seniors they've got a quarterback that can operate his offense effectively I think an old buckshot Calvert uh, and they play New Mexico State two times so you know like <laughs> How are you gonna give me six when I got two right here with the you got, Aggies? You got two New Mexico states. You got one New Mexico. You got a Hampton. You got a Maine. You got a UMass. I mean, I'm I don't know, man. I'm seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of fat meat on that schedule. Um, so I just think, given some trust in Hugh freeze given that it's, he's not, it's not a year zero. I don't think, uh, I think, I think they can do this. I will not be locking up
0: Liberty (laughs) on the over or the under, but I will go ahead and preview that. I think Liberty first half at UVA on November 23rd might be the lock of the
2: season you think that Liberty at UVA – First is half. A lock- first half. Yeah. Okay. Like,
0: Scott Stadium ain't going to be ready, ain't going to be interested.
2: Virginia's just trying to stay healthy for the Virginia Tech game the following week.
0: Yeah, they haven't beat Virginia Tech in more than a decade. There's a lot of emotions going on right there. And I think Liberty will show up uniquely motivated off a of bye week to try and – to To try and shock, uh, to try and shock the world, get a top twenty five win, and uh, and an in state victory against those uh those those snobs from Charlottesville as they make the I, short bus trip from Lynchburg.
2: I think I might have played uh, Liberty last year, uh, catching points against Auburn. I don't think that worked out. <laughs> Fifty three nothing. I don't think that worked out.
0: Was that at the end of the season?
2: That was a late late season game. There. Yeah,
0: you took Liberty plus twenty eight,
2: and then they put a <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think I might have.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I'm look the
0: the Syracuse like because it's Hugh Freeze, and because of what we've seen even before Hugh Freeze's arrival, what we've seen from Liberty offensively. I think that there are matchups that are going to be, uh, like you know the the Syracuse one to start like that game could be bonkers until it like slows down and settles in, right? Like that that could be a little bit strange for a quarter or something. But no, I no. Yeah, I, yeah. I still don't think that this team is uh is in a place where I feel comfortable uh wandering with them out into the desert. Um uh, where where Hugh Freeze is gonna tell me that there's uh there's there's only one set of footprints in the sand or something. <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, uh Yeah, let let me let me pass on that. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any army
2: feels? I'm not
0: locked no. in on army.
2: No, man, I'm not gonna. No, I'm no. not gonna. I'm not gonna dive in on the service academy. Count 'em up. Well,
0: let's uh, let's take it to Memphis, where Mike Norvell is sitting on a uh, a nine win total, and this you know Memphis team loses Daryl Henderson, but this program has been building up such that I think that we should be able to count on them, you know, with Brady white back and, uh, and the offense in place for three, four years now, it's one of the top tier American athletic conference programs out of conference. They draw Ole Miss Southern South Alabama and ULM man. Nine should be easy. But I don't know if uh, I don't know if this is a ten win team.
2: So you so are, are you saying that you're leaning on the under?
0: Yeah, I'm pushed to under.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, this is they're obviously capable of getting to ten, but I'm kind of with you in that it's hard for me to expect ten. Um, I think a lot of it is Brady White to me is a little bit of a I don't know if he's a ten win quarterback. Mm. I, I think he's he is. He is never gonna let you down and and get you down to seven wins. I think he's kind of an eight nine win quarterback. Um, I think he's there's some arm talent limits there. He's really good at operating the offense, um, and and he is a you know he's gonna have you in the right play. He's gonna have you. Um, he's gonna make the right decisions. I just don't know if he's gonna elevate you. And the guy that really elevated them last year. Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard, like those guys are gone. Um, I think they still got players. The offensive line will be good; they always are. Uh, the defense, I think, will probably continue to be better. Um, so I, I, I certainly think they're capable of going over. But I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I feel like nine and three sounds more likely on this one than ten and two.
0: Where are you at then? Okay, so the way that I, I look at this one playing out. Um, look, not gonna give Ole Miss as a win to Memphis, and I think that's a, you know that that that's a little bit of my my hat tip to to Matt Luke and just just being just being an Ole Miss guy, just having the Rebs ready for the start of the season. But yeah, uh, but I'm
2: also not gonna give a, a Memphis Miss? game a win, to Ole Miss either.
0: Mm, like you're
2: not like I'm. I'm not counting that one up on either side of the table.
0: But the end of the season at Houston, at USF, and then Cincinnati, I could see all of those being losses. And if we're dealing with nine and you've got all that at the end of the year, I just don't see Memphis being eight and one uh, after November 2nd. I think that's a little bit much to ask from a team that, even though the schedule right now as we're sitting here, doesn't seem to have any uh, identifiable surefire losses, it's still a lot to ask from a group that, you know, like last year lose at Navy, lose at Tulane, like the year before. Uh, I guess UCF was the only loss that year, but you've got you've got these like spots that'll pop up at Tulsa, where you just in, until I see teams running through schedules it is very difficult for me to always feel confident that you're going to win all the games that you should win. And Memphis is not a team, and maybe you're right with the – maybe Brady White's the more specific analysis where I don't know if Brady White's a 10-win quarterback. I don't know if Memphis is a team that I trust to win every single game that it should win.
2: Right. Like I think I would feel better about Memphis if they have a had a quarterback right now that they could just be like, you guys want to shoot out? Let's get in a freaking shootout. Let's right. do this. Yeah, come on. We got you. Like we'll we'll blow for blow, uh, and and I while they can win those, I don't know that right now they're in a situation offensively where you're just sort of have this supreme confidence that they are going to win those every time. Like they're just, they're going to win some, they're going to lose some, and uh, I think Mike Norvell is the type of coach where if he really has that true guy at quarterback, then you're going to bet on him every time. You're going to bet on Mike Norvell. And that quarterback every time. And I think Brady is a is a good quarterback, but he's a step below that guy that can just, you know, be be easy money in every shootout.
0: How many kids are gonna win this fall? The FIU Panthers in year three with Butch Davis, a win total set at seven and a half. The fighting Brandon Wise's. The James Morgan era. Oh that's right. Your man. Is my this, guy. Yeah, this this is this is a James Morgan uh fueled feel right now.
2: This is J- James James Morgan is one of my like, you know, low-key sort of not even low-key. Like he's just one of the guys if you if you follow the Barton Simmons brand regularly, James Morgan has been uh I've been on the James Morgan team for a few years now. And it's I I don't I don't really understand why someone wouldn't be confident in this FIU team? They've like uh, this is one of those like tell me tell me the downside here. They've recruited really well. They got a quarterback coming back who I have dubbed a, uh, a, a, a an outstanding group of five quarterback with NFL potential. Uh, he, they've got a bunch of they got a bunch of guys returning. Uh, they've got you know, what, eight guys coming back on both sides of the ball. They've recruited really well in the junior college ranks at, at the defensive line. Uh, and Butch Davis, in college football, like Butch Davis is he's – he's got a pretty strong record of success. Like there, there's no reason to think that they won't be improved – as a program they there's no there's certainly no reason that they, they don't can't sustain. I think Bush Davis is like, if he keeps this th- thing going at, at FIU, he's going to start like getting discussed again as like, man, why did we forget about how good this guy is? Um, I just, I think this is just from a program health standpoint. I think this team looks awesome.
0: This is uh, a team that within their own conference is they have not won a conference USA title. They have not appeared in a conference USA championship game, Uh, but they are, they were six and two in conference play last year. They are like in a, in a very big way, like not looking at anyone in the conference play and feeling like that is a game that they should not be able to win. They have been absolutely competitive. The non-conference at Tulane, Western Kentucky, New Hampshire, and then a game against the U uh, in Marlins Park in November, like if if you're say se- if you're setting this at seven and a half with that kind of non-con, or do you think that the odds makers are basically power ranking them third in their own division
2: um, behind FAU and Marshall? Yeah, I guess so. Um, and I can't say like why should we trust? FAU over FIU. I a hundred percent agree with that. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't I don't quite get that. I think that if
0: FIU right now, you know, they get a little they do have to play oh no, they miss UAB and they miss North Texas. They do have to play at Louisiana Tech, and that'll be on a Friday night in September. But I mean, when I'm sort of power ranking the entire conference USA, I think that I've got uh like UAB and North Texas, you know, Southern Miss, Marshall, FIU, before I even get to FAU. I, I started selling FAU stock real fast last year. I thought that, you know, the the Devin Singletary, initial Kendall Bryles, like the way that everything sort of clicked for them in year one was really, really impressive. But then the team that I saw last year uh, did not even – did not at all have the look of something that I thought was going to be sustainable.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think like as you just look at the the FIU schedule and roster, I mean, you look at what FAU is bringing back. I mean, they went five and seven last year. Yeah, I mean, they'll be better, whatever. But I don't, I just don't understand. Like Butch Davis had like he's proven as a head coach. He's had success as a head coach. He's recruited well. Uh, I'm, I'm, and I got, I, I made that FIU money last year. I think I had them as my, as a win total pick last year, and I hit. Um, I'm gonna keep on riding this train. <laughs> There's still value there. Oh man, James Morgan
0: and Butch Davis. That is the way to Barton Simmons' heart.
2: I got a, I got another principal play on totals too. If, uh, if you want to go to the MAC. Yeah, let's go to the MAC.
0: Count them up.
2: Bowling Green. Do you pick the lowest total on the board and just be like, over? I mean, I get this, no, 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 no. You think I'm going over on Bowling Green? Oh, no, you're going the other side. Okay. <laughs> Hell no. I'm going under on three wins. Scott Leffler. It's a Scott Leffler, Brian Van Gorder, perfect under marriage. Like, I I am, uh, I, I mean – I'm sure Scott Leffler is he may be a better head coach than he is an offensive coordinator and he's not a bad offensive coordinator, but he's not a good offensive coordinator. Offenses don't get better under the Scott Leffler watch and often and defenses get significantly worse under the Brian Van Gorder watch. And they're, they're taking over a program that's been spread there. The, 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 their new head coach is coming from the most anti-spread culture in America at Boston College. They've, you know, they won three games last year, uh, and those three were, you know, were not impressive. I, I just think, like, I, I don't really care what the roster is. I, I have no confidence in this program taking a step forward. Now they might, they, again, Hey, maybe this is the first foundational year of a strong rebuild, but it's not going to, it's, it's, it, it, I, I have four wins. It's hard to, to fathom for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love it so much. I'm taking a note right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, that is, and
2: that's going to be a fun one to sweat. You know? I mean, oh yeah. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to get, they'll get Morgan state week one and then, you know, you gotta you gotta hope that they go uh, what two and two and nine the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of close wins that's, in the MAC. That that's
0: a lot of tuning in to uh, Bowling Green at Kent State on uh, the stream and <laughs> rooting real hard for the Golden Flashes.
2: That'll keep you engaged on Tuesday nights.
0: Oh you know? yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really good spot. That's a that's a really good spot. a a hard scott leffler brian van gorder fade Mm, love it uh all right what else you want to draw draw the folks attention to
2: i mean i don't know that's about i mean those are i'm interested in boise state 10 wins seems like a lot for them this year it it looks like they're probably starting a freshman quarterback and hank bachmeyer but i haven't I had to check the Boise State reports to see if he's winning the job, but I would assume he's going to be the guy. Um, I, I, you know, they're playing Florida State. Um, I'm looking for their schedule right now, just so I uh, have it in front of me. But they, it looks so they got Florida State to open. Um, they're going to Utah State. They're going to BYU. Um, I just think not that they won't be good, but 10 seems like a lot when you're that you are replacing a pretty good, pretty healthy chunk. You're replacing their defensive coordinator um, who, who took the job at Oregon. Um, and, and it's a, you got a you're in a really competitive league. So that's just a sort of a hunch. That number looked high. 11 and one strikes me as being a tough, to, tough to pull off. But um, you know, if anyone's sort of consistent enough to get that done, I guess Boise is.
0: I I will admit that it's going to take me probably a couple weeks of the season to start to get my feel for what I think about the Mountain West. I would say that's probably, like, that's that's one league right now where, and thankfully, you know, at the beginning of the season, you're just so rabid and everything's spread out that you're consuming everything. So you can at least kind of check in and sort of figure out what some identities are. But that's, that, that's definitely one spot during all my preseason research. And also, I should mention, we still have 16 days until week zero. So that could change between now and week zero. But that's that – I, I will say uh, not having a great feel for how the mid-tier of the Mountain West is looking right now, I don't know if I trust any team to for sure have 11 wins. Feels like a lot – feels like – any there any one of those top five or six teams are capable of beating any one of the other top five or six teams in that league
2: it's a fun it's a, it's gonna be a fun league you know uh, that'll be fun to follow try to watch try, try try to catch late at night
0: um Houston's got an over under of eight you're gonna hear me talk about that a lot I just say take it because I think Houston with Dana Holgerson and Derek King's going to be one of my favorite projects so let's let's go Cougs, AAC champs 2019.
2: Is that is are you are is that where you're at? Yeah. Ooh. All right. I mean, it, it's just it, it too. I,
0: I have uh, I've got too much excitement, and it's also coming from uh, just sort of like you know, fertita has been all up in the news because now that he's you know part of the Rockets situation, and when they went and got Russell, uh, I was like, ooh, this is just. I mean, they're just spending money right now. Like this is this is a this is a fun time to be around uh, Houston Athletics, and I think Dana Holgerson is the right guy to give them the fireworks that they're going to want to see.
2: Yeah, I mean they're gonna they're gonna put up a lot of points. Let's see, their defense has got to be better, but Derek King is definitely one of the <clears throat> one of the best college quarterbacks in the country. I think is is fair to say. So they'll they'll be a fun follow. That'd be, that'd be a fun over to try to try to hang on to, because you'll uh, you'll enjoy your your Houston viewing experience. How will it,
0: it, it easily one of the one of the more aesthetically fun teams to follow,
1: without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Uh,
0: he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Next week we will be hitting you with more camp buzz. We'll be bringing in some guests, checking in on some of the biggest stories that are developing in the preseason. Barton, thank you very much. The dirt.